trigger warning, this episode contains discussions of guns, suicide, drugs, and substance abuse that some listeners may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome or welcome back to this episode of Crime Cafe Podcast. I'm Amber. I'm Coral. And before we get started... Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and TikTok at Crime Cafe Pod. If you could, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help us. We don't know why, but it just does. <laughs> you can also get some cool stickers, shirts, and hoodies by clicking the merch link in the show notes. And you can always say, hey, suggest a case, cuss us out, whatever, by emailing us at crimecafepod at yahoo.com. Or you could DM us on Instagram as well. Let's just go ahead and get into the case. If you want the bullshit and banner, just wait till the end as usual. But this is the second part in the murder of soldier Matthew Warren Brown. Um, And we left off where Senator Barbara Boxer um, inquired about the missing wallet and the army told her that they did find it as soon as they arrived but that's that wasn't true the accumulation of their investigation occurred on the seventh and final day of their visit to the base this was may 18th which was three days after the medical examiner in dover had declared that matthew's death was a suicide and on this day um, several significant scraps of evidence actually come to light so from additional questioning for instance it became clear that use of narcotics on the base was far more common than it, than had at first been acknowledged in written statements that the CID had not um, fully investigated so the implications. They're like, they found more drugs than they, I guess, expected. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's true. Yeah, and probably common. Oh, yeah, yeah. If they would have done a more thorough investigation, it might have come to a more thorough and convincing explanation of Matthew's death, even if it was a suicide. But instead, the investigators called a flight out that evening, leaving behind an unfinished job and questions that remain to this day. That's the worst <laughs> thing that they, on their part, could have done Yeah, is show up late. Well, obviously, the worst thing that was done at the crime scene was being touched and people being around. Yes. But it, from an investigative standpoint, from that on their part, that's where they messed up was coming late. Yes. Because that's everything fine. has gotten older and mm-hmm. moved, possibly. Yes. So even more troubling, the sworn statements are full of material omissions and contradictions, which we talked about. You literally should not be allowed to redact. And if you are, I want to see the original. Yeah. Because most people say what they mean, like what they confess to. Yeah, the first. The first, yeah. When it comes to where uh, the four main witnesses were during the critical half hour between 6 a.m. So they can't literally get their story straight. There's like redactions, omissions. They're like, it just doesn't make sense for how many people were there and what they were saying. They were just lying. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Jackson stated that Torres was with him in the chow hall continuously from 6 to 6.40 p.m. a.m. 
According to him, Flannery and Cianfroco joined them for breakfast around 6.15. They told Torres that Brown had been late for duty, but failed to mention that he was high on drugs um, while on guard duty. So, like, you know, they're mad they didn't tell on him. Whatever. But they didn't want to rat him out. Yeah, they didn't want to rat him out. and They were probably also. Yeah, and they probably didn't want to say, yeah, he was on drugs, too, because, like, they didn't want them to know that they knew he was on drugs and didn't say anything. Yeah. Like, they had to come to him. Yeah, because that (laughs) causes problems. Yeah, it's like, why didn't you tell us? (laughs) So, Flannery, he actually gave two accounts of the same story. The first was contained in the sworn statement gathered by Torres, Flannery stated that he and Cianfroco spotted Torres in the chow hall and informed him of Brown's tardiness and appearance and that Torres said he would check on Brown after he finished his breakfast. The second was a different version that Flannery gave the following day directly to the CID. It added what turns out to be an important detail. On the way to the chow hall, he and Cianfroco briefly stopped by the base's recreation center known as the MWR to get some information from the internet. (laughs) That's so funny, isn't it? I know. Because it was so long ago. (laughs) They went to the recreation center to get some information from the interwebs. (laughs) And now we can just like get our iPhones. He stated that they then proceeded to the chow hall where they joined Jackson and Torres for breakfast, omitting any mention of Brown at all. Yeah, they didn't want to tell on him. Exactly. I mean, snitches get stitches. Literally, like, what? And, okay, honestly, okay, you remember. We talked about how they had to have outside barracks because so many people were on prescription pills. Yeah. I'm sure that these guys were. Probably. I mean, it would probably incriminate them, too. Yes. So, that was Flannery's statement. And we actually don't know the contents of Franco's initials. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Franco. Franco. I guess. Okay. We do not know the contents of Sam Froco's initial statement for a simple reason. It was on the thumb drive retained by Torres, who later <laughs> told investigators that it had been corrupted. Of course it was corrupted. <laughs> you probably pissed on it. How good. I know. That was great timing. But <laughs> a thumb drive. It corrupted. It, it's corrupted, sir. Like, yeah, you probably put out a cigarette on it. <laughs> And why were they using a thumb drive? Why didn't they use a recorder or something? (laughs) I don't know. So, in his statement to the CID, however, San Froco said that he and Flannery stopped by the recreation center to look up the workout of the day on a fitness site. Then they proceeded to the chow hall where they were waiting for their eggs to finish when Torres walked in around 625 not just after six, as Jackson had testified. Mm. So, according to Cian Froco, <laughs> he informed Torres of Brown's tardiness and actions, and Torres answered that he would go to the tower after breakfast. Cian Froco testified that he, Flannery, and Torres then sat down with Jackson, 
who was already there and started talking about the normal daily randomness that people do. <laughs> nice what? weather we're having. <laughs> he literally lied about when Torres came and he's basically saying we made small talk. After somebody said that someone was tardy in his actions, they thought he was on drugs. Yes. <laughs> so after you were told that, you were like, okay, let me just talk about the normal things people do every Let's day. Let's talk about the normal <laughs> daily ran randomness that people do. Oh my gosh. So it's hard to understand why a timeline that should have been simple became so complicated. The CID failed to resolve even the most glaring contradictions in the accounts of the four main witnesses. So when Flannery and San Froco described... Let's just call him C. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just say F and C and T. Okay. F is Flannery, C is C and Froco, and T is Torres. Okay. So when F and C described their brief visit to the recreation center, they both omitted a crucial fact. T was there too. Why would they not? Yeah, they didn't that? say it. Torres stated so on the very first line of his sworn testimony, quote, at approximately 06, 1500, whatever military hours. <laughs> so 6, 15 a.m., whatever notified me at the recreation center that Matthew was late to the gun tower two days in a row. End quote. This means that Torres, by his own account, had not been there when the other witnesses claimed he was that morning. It also implies that C and F informed T only that Brown was late, not that he was severely in incapacitated while on duty. Once again, the CID seems simply to have accepted this they're like, okay, it's fine that it contradicts. Despite C's sworn statement that he and F had just concluded um, in the barracks that they had to search out to, uh, T um, to inform him that Brown had died. Or no. That was he was intoxicated. That he was, yeah, yeah, incapacitated or whatever. And the CID also failed to establish T's movements between the rec center and the chow hole. Between the rec center and the chow hall. <laughs> what did you say? Hole. <laughs> Where he was having breakfast when the word of the emergency arrived around 630. I don't know why they would say that he told them that he was impaired. And then they just sat down and had breakfast and made small talk. Yeah. And then someone told them that, remember yeah. they came to breakfast and told them that Brown had quote shot himself and they just stayed and finished their breakfast. I know. And then went there. Anyway, <sighs> there is one more statement that requires an explanation. A soldier in the barracks specialist, Michael Merritt told the CID that F and C woke him up around six ten. They were loudly discussing Brown's in incapacitation. 10 minutes later, around six 20, Torres appeared in the barracks and ordered Merritt to prepare for unscheduled guard duty because Brown had killed himself. That's his first worry. I mean, I know it's the military, but he yeah. needs to find somebody to replace immediately. 
There, it's a crime scene. But how can he go to work? There, he. There's blood. But if he if Tor if T told him at six twenty, I thought he didn't find out about it until six thirty. Yeah, at the chow hall. Hole. <laughs> so keep saying that? somebody is lying. Yeah. <laughs> They're lying for Torres, obviously, allegedly, in my opinion. So, Merritt's statement was missing from the files acquired by Sandra Evans. Of course it was. How convenient. <laughs> They're always missing. Yeah. It appeared only recently, a decade after it was made. Mm-hmm. How does something disappear for a decade? I know. It's so weird to me. If the timing in his account is accurate, it would mean that T knew of Brown's death before he entered the chow hall for breakfast Duh. and before news of the emergency arrived. Which was at 630. Yeah. But before news of the emergency... But it is impossible to know from the files, and that is the larger issue now. I mean, he could have his time wrong. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I don't remember anything. He was just being woken up. Yeah. To, and then being told that someone had killed themselves, that they needed to go get ready. So, yeah, just kind of, <laughs> you know, try not to look at his blood, you know? I don't, yeah. Where was he going to go? Look, I, you might see some brain. Okay. We've all seen some brain. So just don't look at it. <laughs> cannot. So, the CID's failure to examine the contradictions and omissions of key witnesses defies understanding. It indicates that um, a profound institutional breakdown, one that casts serious doubt on the military's ability to conduct thorough and, and objective investigations into the death of U.S. soldiers overseas. So basically this this case like casts a lot of serious doubt on the military's ability to co conduct like thorough investigations. Which I feel like good. happens all the time. Literally they're they like never, case closed. Yeah they never do a good investigation it seems like. It's awful. The CID also bungled some of the most basic physical evidence surrounding Brown's um, demise. Leaving aside Brown's incapacitation, it has always been difficult to visualize how exactly he was supposed to have, you know, shot himself. He was sitting on an elevated bench in front of an elevated table built with an elevated footrest. So, it's basically a tall table, like really tall chair. We have those at work. Um, and his feet were on the footrest. The weapon was between his legs, muzzle up, with the stock either on the floor or the footrest, and the strap wrapped loosely around his left leg. Because it was underneath the table, what? Underneath the table. Yeah, it's between his legs, though. Oh, I guess his legs were up under the table. Oh, uh, that's not possible. <laughs> hate to tell you. 
Um, because it was underneath the table, the weapon was angled back towards Brown's seated position. The bullet entered... Okay, graphic warning. Trigger warning. Yes. The bullet entered his right temple forward of his right ear and exited the left rear part of his head before proceeding on the same straight trajectory, either up to the ceiling where it ricocheted or straight to the wall or plexiglass window. Once all the physical evidence was mapped by forensic experts, it seemed unlikely or even impossible that Brown could have contorted himself in such a way to make all this work. But the CID never did these calculations. They never did anything to... I mean, okay, crime scene reconstruction, I don't know if that's actually a science. I mean, it is obviously used by people, but how? Um, it has to... And how can they do, like, measurements? Because the CID wasn't there when his body was there, so they would have to go off the reconstruction. Yeah. And so they would have to do the degree calculations and everything. I don't get how that can be accurate. So, earlier this year, a forensic company called Visual Evidence tried to piece this puzzle together. Visual Evidence is based in a suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. It is in the legal support business and offers a variety of services, including crime scene recreations that can withstand cross-examination in court. Oh, so it's like super credible. They can come to court with it. The company and its co-founder, Manfred W. Troibner, decided to take on the Brown Inquiry pro bono which is great. Having heard about Sandra Evans' quest from a forensics and blood spatter expert, working with the CID's measurements, his team built a full-scale replica of the death scene, including the elevated bench and table, the plexiglass window, and the blood stains on the walls Ew, and ceiling. Ugh. How much does this cost? I don't know. This is insane that they... They used a replica M4 carbine, which I asked Russ, and he said it's carbine. (laughs) And I was saying carbine. And various lasers and aiming devices. At the same time, they began to produce computer-generated images of the possible ballistics. They did not set out to prove a theory, but to explore the physical uh, realities of the death scene as best as it could be reconstructed. That's what they wanted to do. Yeah, that's amazing that they... they tr- That's cool. Yeah. So, as they progressed... But it's 10 years after. Sorry. Yeah. In 2019, they yeah. started their reconstruction. Thank God, like, those people vi- at Visual Evidence, is that what it's called? In, in oh. Cleveland? That they yeah. wanted to help. I just feel like that has to be really hard to you know, piece it together correctly. Yeah. So as they progressed, it began to seem that the only way to duplicate the shot that fit the evidence provided was to have a surrogate Brown rest his head on the table as if unconscious with the shot being fired by somebody else from an angle that Brown could not have achieved. Some important questions still remain unanswered. In a small concrete room, why had no bullet or bullet fragments been found? And what was the cause of the hole in the plexiglass window? Mm. Given the dimensions of the gun table, the hole appeared to be too far forward 
to have resulted from any of the visible trajectories. Nonetheless, visual evidence began to lead toward a conclusion of murder. Okay. I have to, I have to say something. So let's just say it was suicide. So it's they didn't say it was below the table, the muzzle. They said it was underneath. Mm-hmm. His head was on the table. The only it, it couldn't have gotten underneath the table at first of all at the angle he shot himself. So let's say he shot himself through the table It went in his right temple and out his left back area. If he shot himself at that angle through the table, the gun would not be pointed towards his body in between his legs. It would have fallen to the right, probably in my opinion, or right out in front of him. So, Without even getting into, like, degrees, fractions, algebra, and all that BS, you can literally tell just by making an educated guess that there's no way it was suicide. Plus, if he shot himself through the table, there would have to be a hole in the table. Yeah, and, <laughs> and no, none of this literature literature yeah. can we find that there was a bullet hole in the table. Yeah. They talk about ricocheting off the plexiglass and the wall and all that, mm-hmm. all but that not stuff. Not on the table. Mm-hmm. There's literally no way. There's no way. Oh, okay. A scenario that fit the laboratory reconstruction was this: a killer came up the stairs in the rear of the room, observed Brown passed out with his head on the table, retrieved um, Matthew's weapon from wherever it was in the room, probably on him, I am assuming, um, racked around into the chamber, switched the selector from safe to semi, placed the muzzle against Brown's head from a position slightly below into the right, and fired a single round. Brown slumped to the left against the wall, And in this scenario, the killer would have put Brown's left leg through the strap, lowered the weapon stock onto the floor, and immediately departed. It would have been a sloppy plan, hastily executed. If that's what happened, the salvation for the killer was that the CID was even sloppier. So, there's, okay, the, um, what's it called? The visual evidence people basically said that that's what happened and that it was a sloppy murder. Yeah. But they can do that in the military. Yeah, I mean, especially you see how the investigation went. I know. And I don't love when sloppy murderers get away with it, but there's something thrilling about knowing, not thrilling like in a happy way, but an interesting way that you can... Like, some of the sloppiest murders are still unsolved. Yeah. And have left the biggest amount of evidence, but are still unsolved. Mm. And it's just like, they say that criminals are smart and everything. Sometimes not. Sometimes you just get lucky. Yeah, literally. And it remains unsolved. Yes. So, the CID investigators are the only federal agents who do not go through rigorous training at one of the federal law enforcement centers. Instead, they join the Army, serve as MPs for at least a year, then they get 16 weeks at the MP school for special agents. Although 
Although they do not draw formal conclusions about the crimes they investigate, they inevitably make assumptions that shape the gathering of evidence. So we're, I just want you guys to know we're not dealing with yeah, homicide not. investigators. Yeah, they're, these are quote, specially trained investigative divisions. They're literally military personnel. 16 weeks. Yeah. You need years of experience in law enforcement to know what, what you're talking about and they don't get anything. So like mo or like all law enforcement agencies, they feel pressed for time and suicides are faster and easier than murders to resolve. So in a war zone, they are also relatively easy to stage. Yeah. So, and this was back when it was going hot and heavy. Mm-hmm. So nobody is looking. No. You know. Grieving families uh, have no recourse once the military rules um, their death a suicide. We've seen that in this case and several other cases. There's like, they wouldn't even give the records up or whatever at first. Like, I mean, they don't really have anything like that they can do for, it's awful, but. Not once over the first 16 years of war in Afghanistan and Iraq did the CID reverse itself and reopen a suicide investigation in either country. Unlike civilian police departments, it does not uh, have an internal affairs division. It has a formal quality assurance program to review the performance of investigations to little avail. Oh, they have a quality assurance program? That's for freaking customer service employees. That's not for murder investigators. Theoretically, it is subject to review by the Pentagon's Inspector General's office. And when sufficient political pressure is brought to bear, such reviews are performed, but any resulting criticism, criticisms or recommendations are usually pretty much ignored. In 2015, for instance, the IG issued a scathing report criticizing the agents who had investigated an accusation of sexual assault and recommended that the investigation be reopened and the CID flatly refused to do so. And there were no consequences for them refusing. Love that. I love how people can just choose not to look into sexual assault allegations. So last spring, thanks to the attention that attorney James Culp has paid to Matthew Brown's case, the CID did agree to a meeting to hear him out. The original files were brought in for the occasion. They included the crime scene photographs that had previously been kept under wraps. The meeting took place over five hours on the afternoon of April 12th at Hunter Army Airfield in Savannah, Georgia. Savannah! To five hours. That seems like a short time compared to a lot of stuff. The CID was represented by two agents and a lawyer. Of course they were. (laughs) Culp was joined by experts from visual evidence who were teleconferenced in for their crime scene reconstruction in Ohio. Their meeting did not go well. Sorry, this sounds like a meeting at a Starbucks. I know. This is, like, very cash. I know, and this is really important. Well, you're just going to Zoom? <laughs> you're going to Zoom call a reinvestigation? So, Colt felt that the senior CID agent adopted a patronizing tone and was lecturing him on the messiness 
of perceptions and the unreliability of his eyewitnesses. For every question that Culp raised, the agent offered a dismissive answer. He did confirm that the CID had failed to conduct a quality assurance audit of the investigation. <laughs> no, we didn't do a quality assurance. Obviously. Yeah, literally. So... What's more, the new crime scene photographs shared by the CID revealed that the original investigators had grossly miscalculated the dimensions of the elevated table, which, sorry, that table stayed there. Yeah. Okay, how can these people not measure? Um, they miscalculated the dimensions of the table and the gun tower, overstating its depth by 18 inches. They said it was 18 inches wider, and it actually is. Okay. Um... That meant that Matthew had been sitting 18 inches forward of the position that visual evidence knew about. Which means that totally makes it completely incredible. Right. Wonderful. Which, I feel like that doesn't really make a difference of the outcome of their findings. I feel like it just makes it harder for what the military said to be, at, like, for it to be suicide. I just feel like that makes it harder that he was... I feel like, you know, 18 inches forward. I know. Because, you know, I mean, that's less room for the right gun. Right. <laughs> and they thought that would make more sense of suicide. Yeah. If it were that far away. So they gave those. Yeah. But it didn't even make a difference. Yeah. But still, they have to be accurate. So they're going to, you know, bitch about that. Yeah. When the company's technicians rearranged the mock-up in Ohio to reflect the new information, they found that Brown's entry and exit wounds now lined up precisely with the splintered hole in the window. So, that's awkward. Yeah. Um, at least there's, like, ways that they're getting some kind of answers. Yeah. I mean, trying something. So the CID actually promised that they would get back to Culp once a decision had been made on the merits of, of his position, but six weeks passed in silence. Nice. Then, last May, one day after being contacted by Vanity Fair, the CID called Sandra Evans and informed her that the investigation... Which is his mom. Yeah. Um... And informed her that the investigation would be reopened. Because Vanity Fair is doing an article. Exactly. <laughs> so, at first glance, the news was heartening. But Culp was weary of this. Mm -hmm. Because after decades of experience with the CID, he just suspected that the investigation was probably just, like, to deflect the criticism and um, justify the original finding of suicide. Right. And, in fact, the CID actually closed the reinvestigation after only four weeks. So, like, fine, we'll reopen it for five minutes. I know. Um, one month. Yeah. Um, they did decline to discuss whom it had interviewed or what it had found, saying only that Matthew's mother was free to request the files under the Freedom of Information Act. Those files will, of course, be redacted. Ah. They're so sus. I know. Like, why can't you just release something? Why can't you just calm down and, like, arrest one person? I know. 
Yeah, it's not like it's going to take your whole, like, all these people out. If it proves that someone murdered them, then take them out. Exactly. You think it's embarrassing that one of your soldiers killed somebody? It's embarrassing that the drug issue is so out of hand that there's 200 men that have to be in open-air barracks. Mm -hmm. That's embarrassing. Yes. And it's embarrassing that you're just letting this slide. Like, yeah, so over much. and over yeah. and over again. Yeah. And to think that these people are, like, signing up to, like, do something very admirable and mm -hmm. honorable, and then this is the way they're the treated? Yeah. Oh, it's a bunch of junk. Yeah. So, so, in response to 40 written questions that, that the author submitted. Yeah, yeah. to the CID. Um, they acknowledge that it had not offered immunity to any witnesses during the reinvestigation, nor administered any polygraph test. Which those don't hold up in court anyway. No. So. so its reason was circular. None of the witnesses was suspected of a crime. Obviously. This is so frustrating. It reported that the investigators had concluded that the original finding of suicide was correct. And it also said that Sandra Evans never told them that her son feared for his life, only that he was being pressured to transport drugs to the base. Bull. Yeah. Bull. Why would you leave out that one detail that is so, like... She did tell them. Yeah, yeah, because if your son told you that and then your son wound up dead, that would be the first thing that I would think of is, like, every conversation that we had had and what he had said that would stick out and Literally. not mean something. <laughs> it defended the original investigation with a string of evasions and false assertions. It insisted that visual evidence had determined that the bullet's trajectory was consistent with a suicide. Well, obviously, we know that that's not true. They actually said that it was consistent with a murder. What? You yeah. can't make stuff up. I know. That is so stupid. Yeah. You can't say the opposite. Like, nobody's going to find out or, like... Bullface oh lie. Uh, and this also claimed that T's original photographs of the crime scene had included the hole in the plexiglass window. But they had not. Mm. And I also said that the hole had been there prior to the incident and was used by soldiers as a finger hole to open and close the window. Yeah, I'm sure it was. <laughs> but provided no evidence for that conclusion. Of course. Obviously, because there's none. It was not true. So then, citing privacy requirements, the CID refused to answer the last of the 24 questions. And all of those questions pertain to its failures to follow up on the con contradictions and omissions in the statements provided by Torres Jackson. Seeing Froco and Flannery. Yeah. So all the, basically all the questions they stopped at the ones that like were asking about the contradictions. And they only answered, there was 40, and they didn't answer 24 of them. 
this is the okay what amber's about to read is absolutely insane oh okay this okay this is what the letter from the cid <laughs> left off with at the end none of the questions you presented would change the final determination of suicide in this investigation if new credible information is found or presented CID stands ready to do whatever is needed to pursue that credible information. What? None of the <laughs> questions you presented would change. It doesn't matter what you think the questions would I know. do. Answer the questions. If it wouldn't change it, then, then answer, can't them. You answer them. There's 24 it's questions yeah. we can't answer, but they, it wouldn't change anything. It wouldn't change anything, so I'm not going to answer it. It's a waste of my time, your time, whatever. Okay, this is one thing I just don't understand. Why do law enforcement not want to bring in individuals that have hurt other individuals? I know. Like why like why do you just want to close it? I know. It's so strange to Please me. Please don't do that. I know. And they're like, we're not gonna answer the rest because it's a waste. I know. How do you know it won't that change is, anything? You know, it's frustrating to us, but imagine being his mom. I literally wouldn't know what to do. Being Sandra, you're just literally running in circles. There's nothing. Mm -hmm. You can request this, but it's redacted. Yeah. So I don't know what to tell oh, you. Good. Good for you. This is corrupted. This was lost. This is redacted. This is omitted. This is crossed out. So exactly. This was. Um, this is called boilerplate, which is a language that the CID has used for years to brush off the inquiries uh, of bereaved families and agency critics. Most of these cases have subsided into obscurity, leaving the families exhausted and alone, like you were saying. However, um, one remains widely known. In 2005, Lavena Johnson a 19-year-old private first class, which I, we remember that case, yes. died of a gunshot to the head on a base <laughs> in Iraq. Johnson's death was found to be a suicide. After her father saw her body, however, yes. he would question the finding. Her family was amazing. Oh, I know. She was right-handed, but the entry wound was on the left side of the, her head. She had a black eye, a broken nose, and teeth that had been shoved in. Most disturbingly, her vagina had been severely burned with chemicals. But she killed herself. But she did all this first. She blacked her eye, broke her nose, shoved her teeth in, and burned her vagina with chemicals. Sorry? And then and then she was like, okay, let me kill myself now. Can't relate. No. That's what? not any something anybody would actually do. And how would any, like, I bet her family heard that and was like, they literally think we are dumb. Yeah, you're going to think we're a box of rocks over here. You're going to tell me to my face that that my daughter purposefully burned her vagina with, with chemicals? chemicals? Okay. Yeah, um, maybe in some other dimension or something. Not here. Johnson's father was a PhD who had worked for the army for decades. He began a vigorous campaign to gain full access to the files and to persuade the CID to reopen its investigation. The CID obstructed him at every step along the way. Johnson sought help from his congressman, William L Lacey Clay, who, in an open session of the House Oversight Committee, dressed down the CID 
commander, Rodney Johnson. Clay was irate. Quote, Dr. and Mrs. Johnson have been trying to get to the truth about what happened to their daughter. Unfortunately, they have had, they have been met with a wall of disrespect, evasion, and failure, and a failure to provide them with the answers that the parents of any fallen soldiers deserve, end quote. The general answered that he was not aware of the freedom of information request filed by the Johnsons, but that any such request would be handled appropriately in due time. I'm sure it will be. But he didn't know about it, so how was it handled properly in due time? They said it wasn't, but if it would have been, it would have been, like, if it was filed, it would have been handled quickly. Oh, but they said they didn't file it, but they did file? They did file, but he says they didn't. But if they had... It would have been handled. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> the same general commanded the CID three years later when Matthew Brown died. Today, more than 13 years after Lavana Johnson's death, her parents' push for a reopen investigation has led to nothing. By an odd coincidence, soon after the reinvestigation <coughs> into Matthew's death was closed, Culp received a copy of the missing statement by Michael Merritt, in which he testified that Torres had known about Brown's suicide before he was notified of it in the chow hall. Merritt has left the Army, and he lives in Florida. Colt got through to him easily by phone and told him that the reinvestigation had come and gone. This was news to Merritt, who said that no one from the CID had contacted him. If they had, they would have learned what Merritt volunteered to Colt, that he had kept a daily diary in Afghanistan, that he has that diary still and that it contains notes express, expressing confusion about certain aspects of Matthew's death. Oh, my God. Yes. We love a journaler. Yes. So, according to Merritt, Jackson ordered him to stand guard at the base of the gun tower around 7.45 a.m. God. He, yeah. So quick. Oh. He was present when Brown's body was removed and was still there when Torres and Jackson returned around 12.15 p.m. and entered the tower alone. Merritt thought their visit was odd and he wondered what, like, why they were coming there. So they were still inside about 45 minutes later when Merritt was relieved by Sanfranco. <laughs> Sanfranco. Sanfranco. Mm hmm. By CNF. Okay. By CNF, in his official statement, Jackson had said that he and Torres had been inside the guard tower for 15 minutes. Now, we have Merritt recalling that the visit was at least three times longer than that. Mm-hmm. And it is hard to know what to make of this. So, pretty much, Jackson and Torres were in there and then... To look for remaining evidence. Yeah. They were in there for 45 minutes. And if but he they said had they were only been 15. in there for 15, they, Merritt would have been there when they left. But yeah. instead, it was CNF who came and they were still there. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, they're kind of, you know, Unreliable. on a team together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, the failure to contact Merritt earlier this year proves that nothing has changed. That the reinvestigation 
was just like basically because Vanity Fair was about to do an article. Yeah, and it was just and as shitty to, as the first one. Yeah, and to put like to put a good face forward. To yeah, be like oh look, we're doing this. Look, you have a chance on. to answer these questions <clears throat> that people have. And on a big platform. Yeah. So they literally reopened the investigation, but it's like still no more answers. Right. Have come to light. So soldiers who die in the combat zones deserve at the very least a competent investigation into the causes of their death. But given the military, it seems unlikely that the CID will suddenly decide to reform itself. God. <laughs> oh, God. That's a burn. Yeah. So... So, in theory, the FBI could step in and open investigations on behalf of deceased soldiers into violations of their civil rights, as it often does when local authorities fail to adequately pursue justice in civilian deaths. To do so, it would first need its corner to raise the possibility of an incorrect finding. In its corner is the Armed Forces Medical Examiner. Yeah. So, basically, the FBI will never open a case because the Armed Forces Medical Examiner is the FBI's coroner. It's all a clusterfuck. What? They're all in with each other. How? Like, and how are we just letting this go? Why are we like, you cannot hold both of these positions. I'm sorry. I know. We're going to have to hire somebody. <laughs> Literally. Pick one. Pick whichever one you like Civilian or soldier. What yeah, is it? Pick one and we'll hire somebody else for the other. Yeah. <laughs> the warrior creed is said to be leave no soldier behind. In combat, commanders generally strive to live up to that. But the army is large and bureaucratic. And Matthew Brown, like an unexamined number of their soldiers, has been abandoned. And he may have killed himself. He may have been murdered. Short of accepting the CID's authority, there's just no way to know. And because of that, his fate is a national disgrace. Yes, it is. It is. And then human life, somebody with family, friends, emotions, is just a piece of paper. Yeah. And let's get it, um, you know, put to rest as quickly as possible. Yeah. And they they decide when they're not going to answer questions. They decide when it's reopened. Like, they don't let anybody influence <clears throat> them. I know. And it's, it's so weird to me, honestly, that, like, um, even, like, police departments and stuff can decide not to reopen an investigation. I know. Because it's also interesting that the police department definitely more often than the military can because of public pressure be forced to reopen. Yeah, that is true. But the military is like, "No, I'm good. I don't want to." Yeah. And if they do, like they did here, yeah, it's just they'll just barely do it. Yeah. Um, so that is Leave No Soldier Behind, The Unsolved Mystery of the Soldier Who Died in the Watchtower by William Langweish from Vanity Fair. As always, we'll have that in the show notes. And I have one thing to talk about 
for bullshit and banter. Basically, the bullshit and banter episode, uh, not episode, segment is going to be small today because most of it, as you're going to hear in a second, are um, bloopers. <laughs> but I do have to say, um, thank you guys so freaking much for 350 followers on Instagram. What? I know. <laughs> like, I'm getting nauseous. If you guys are interested in a giveaway, just let us know. Um, we're not exactly sure what to give away, like, merch-wise. Because, um, like, sizing's a thing. I think I might just, like, order a shirt in, like, a certain color. And it be my size and take a picture of it for the giveaway thing. And then ask what their size is and order it for them. But, like, definitely. Well, I thought about just doing a coffee mug and a decal. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you know, it doesn't have to be clothes. Yeah, would y'all... Or like a sticker and a yeah, yeah, yeah. coffee mug or something? Yeah. Um, if you have our sticker, Corey designed it, and it's amazing. I love it. I want a tattoo. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, I really do. Um, Especially if you're from Georgia, I think it you know, would mean more. Yeah. To, which is where we're from. That's Yeah, that's where we're from, and like... <clears throat> Um, it has all the Georgia, like it has um, the state flower, the state bird, the state re state reptile, all that stuff. It has a trout, peach. right? It has a possum, bees, the flower. Um, yeah, and it has like it's just it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, and it also has our Crime Cafe logo on it, and it's in the um, shape of the state of Georgia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and also you can get it for indoor, or you can get it for outdoor and it's like weather protected and they're only like five dollars or something um but buying merch supports the show mm -hmm. um listening itself supports the show but if you want to support us um merch or uh leaving reviews yeah, and commenting leaving a review, literally that gets us yeah. like that gets our cases out there yes um i have gotten so many dms um for on my personal instagram from people being like i literally had never even heard of this in my life and yeah. i feel like i should have and that's like the most important part yes and people are literally invested in these cases just as much as amber and i are now like people we personally know people we don't know my cousin um has told me on several occasions like which cases that he's listened to of ours that have really impacted him mm -hmm. and like really gone to his core. He also said that he stopped listening weeks ago so that he can like binge them all at once. <laughs> <laughs> That's willpower. Yes. <laughs> okay. So this is the last thing before you'll hear the bloopers, but um, I, I was listening to a crime after a crime episode. Yeah, yes. And this was one of the end stories but these people broke into the um, Oregon Zoo. This was like in the 60s or 70s. And this boy was dangling in the bear den. What? Well, it was fine. Or the bear enclosure. Well, it was fine. He got, after it closed, they broke in after it was closed into the Oregon Zoo. Well, then he went to the lion's den and was dangling over it. And one of them smacked him down. And then, you know, they killed him. I mean, <gasps> yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, the next night, his friend broke back in and shot the line. Why? I don't know. Because they killed his friend, I guess is why. But Oh, yeah. But still. Yeah, they were just being lines. 
I have never heard of that. And I feel like that is so crazy. That's insane. And people need to know about that because I was shook. Would you go back and kill an animal that killed me? No. Sorry. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> I understand. Um, how is it that easy to break into a zoo? Twice. Two nights in a row. I feel like the second night, the security should have been so intense. <laughs> That you couldn't even, like, look at it without somebody knowing. I know. <laughs> um, but that just blew my mind, and I had to tell more people. It reminds <laughs> me of the Nickelback song Photograph, where he's like, criminal record says I broke in twice, must have done it about a oh, dozen yeah. times. It's like, that high school is that easy to break into? Why is a zoo easy to break into? Um, a high school, both? Well, no. Okay. My brother, for his senior prank at our high school, one thing they did, but they got the janitor to help them. He left the door unlocked. <laughs> and in our front, like, when you first walk into the building, you could hit this pole and knock it out. And it made the entrance really wide. And the seniors drove their vehicles into the <laughs> school and parked them. <laughs> but, um... My cousin, he went to a different school that I'm not going to name, but <laughs> they broke into it. Like, that's insane. It was just easy. That's creepy to what? be in a dark school. Yeah. Ew. They broke into it for their senior prank. Stayed the night? No. They just put a greased pig in there. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so... Remember you telling me about other people's lives, the podcast? Yes. I'm addicted. Yes. I cannot stop. And I just listened to the episode where the guy that um, did extreme, like, violent tactics to get answers out of people in the military. Mm -hmm. I loved. Yes. He was open. He was like, yeah, we lied. <laughs> About things to the public. I don't think I've listened to that It's one. good. They're so good, though. Y'all should listen to it. Yes. It really is interesting. Okay, well, now we're going to get into the bloopers, <laughs> but we'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Bye. We'll not see you. Well. I say that every time. I know. Okay. I you know. And you won't see <laughs> us either. No. We won't see each other, but you'll hear us. And we can hear you if you'll message us on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> or freaking review. Yeah. Either. Stop. Uh, <laughs> like, you need to leave a review. I'm getting so mad at you. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. The first was contained in the sworn statement gathered by Torres. Flannery stated that he and Cianfranco. That is how you say it right. Cianfranco. Cianfranco. Franco? <laughs> Flannery stated that he and Cian... Say it one more time. Cian Franco. At approximately 06, 1500, whatever, military hours. <laughs> so 6, 15 a.m., whatever. So, what's his... Manfred W. Troibner. Say it with me. Troibner. Troibner? Troibner. 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 I already know how you're going to say it. What is Manfred it? W. Troy Banner. 
Because <laughs> you're going to forget how it is. No, say it one more Troibner. time. Troibner. And it's Manfred. 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 Manfred and Sons? Okay. Okay. Say it one more time. Troibner. Troibner. Manfred W. Troibner. Thanks to the attention that attorney James Copel had paid to Matthew Brown's case, the CID agreed to a meeting to hear him out. The original files were brought in for the occasion. What's his last name? Culp. What did I say? Copel. I hate him. You add. <laughs> you add. <laughs> Syllables. <laughs> 